We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovix. Joining me today is Francis Hunt, CMT and technical analysis and founder of TheMarketSniper.com. Francis, thanks for joining me today. Delighted to be back with you, Tom. Thanks for having me. You know, Francis, there are times where you and I have discussed, you know, some ideas that ruffle a couple feathers. And I think, you know, what we have laid out for today can do that. But I think the important thing to really remember in times like this, not only from a market perspective, but, you know, just a life perspective, which you and I have shared some interesting adventures together is Indeed. is to remember that we need to be more flexible and be able to look at things from a bit more of a dispassionate or less religious viewpoint so you know right now we're seeing gold really not do a whole lot yet we're seeing bitcoin accelerate to the upside so you have some interesting charts to pull up and share with us to show us you know there are different ways in these markets to be making money and not just looking at one particular market. 100%. That was very well introduced. And thank you for the question, Tom. Um, so essentially, like you say, you've got to decide what your position is. Are you agnostic and wanting to maximize wealth? Or are you always, all the time, 100% gold is the most dominant and best thing you should always be buying? Um, and sometimes short and medium time spells, you can actually do better elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, for example, silver has been moribund and very disappointing. Gold, I've got a little bit of good news to share, but there are other things that are doing better. I mean, many will point to the stock market. I do feel that one's got a little too sexy and the insider selling is at an absolute extreme. Maybe before I actually deal with the Bitcoin and gold, I'll just highlight that because many people will be thinking of equities. We've heard of the Waltons that are doing a massive dump, and this isn't one member of the family. This is across three members of the family that have dumped billions. We know Bezos has sold a few billion. We know uh, Gates has sold in Microsoft a few billion. We know Zuckerberg of Facebook has sold a substantial sum. And I just did this particular chart regarding equity. So um, I certainly wouldn't come in now and say equity is your place. And we'll come back to what is when we discuss uh, the crypto markets. But just as an idea, generally as a rule, in and around uh, the 12 level, that means 12 insider shares are being sold and one insider is buying. So the ratio is always high to the insiders selling because they got a lot of equity and they have living costs and mansions to buy and yachts to buy. So they start off being very big owners of the pie and they dilute themselves down as their market cap expands and they've been successful. So generally they were net sellers. There was one guy's job whose sole job was to sell, I think, a million Microsoft shares every day for Bill Gates, you know, since you're a dot. So you diverse, you, you generally once you've had a successful business that's listed. 
you're a net seller generally, but you will be a huge net seller after a major market run, which you think is a bit pricey in terms of valuation. And you'll be a moderate to light seller in, in you know, bottoms of bear markets to maybe very, very light. Uh, so it's very indicative because they understand their businesses very well. So 12 is generally an accumulate zone where there's 12 insider shares for every one buyer. Um, that's an accumulate zone generally for buying into the equity market. 21 is a disaccumulate. You'd expect the market to drop. So that's quite considered quite high insider share uh, values. This chart comes uh, from Thomson Reuters, and it was a gentleman by the name of Game of Trades who highlighted it. I have addended it a little further. But just so that you know, we're at 150. So these are big billions being dropped. So that's a lot of shares compared to, say, the retail party that are owning it. And retail tends to be bag holders just before a crisis. So it's not the equity market. It could have been six months ago, you know, where you would have had the overperformance. So let's pivot back to the crypto and say, well, why are you saying it's been Bitcoin and it should be Bitcoin? This particular chart, Tom, is the gold price, um, but it involves the gold price. But at first, it's the Bitcoin price deflated by gold. Um, and generally, Bitcoin has been a winner. Now, I want to highlight to all the people that physical, I own it, all those things. All that's still true, and I do too. Um, and you're right. I'm not here to tell you that anything you're doing in that space is wrong. We know all the failings of electro electric networks, blockchain, internet access. We've seen them go down. Uh, I have personally no illusions about um, the, the creation of Bitcoin and crypto as a whole to become a future surveillance finance team. So uh, this is not a moral uh, or even a long-term positioning. It's what do I do for the next six months, nine months that is going to make me the more money on the basis that this can all be converted back into gold ounces in a well-timed exit to further maximize your uh, physically held true money of millennia in your hands. So if you have that dispassionate um how do I maximize approach? I will explain why I've been very physically engaged more in the crypto markets than in the metals markets. So technically, this was uh, the bull market of uh, 2020 uh, into 2021 for crypto. That was a squeeze. It's a volatility squeeze. It's our favorite structure. It generated a target, which actually, and by the way, these numbers on the side are now going to be how many gold ounces to buy a Bitcoin. Um, long, long time ago, uh, you know, we crossed one for the first time. That was around about 2017. That was when the price of Bitcoin was the same as gold. That was in and around, I think, just over the thousand dollar marks. They were both just over thousands of dollars, 1100, 1300 odd. Uh, but since then, Bitcoin has clearly outperformed that. The high of the 2018, uh, 17, 18, probably took you to around 14. So then you needed 14 ounces to buy this new digital system money that they are popularizing. So as I say, I have no romantic notions around that. They need to make a pump and wealth building environment to get everybody to surge and FOMO into that. That doesn't mean it's the long-term sound money if you're seeking freedom from uh, a grid system. Um, the next bull market, which was the 21 uh, highs, came in and this target, the purple line, perfectly caught 
one of the one of two local highs that was barely surpassed. In fact, on gold, silver, this was 64k that high in Bitcoin for those that follow, and that was 69k in dollars. But actually, in gold ounces, it's almost a double top. They were near identical. So the exit over there after breaking the line here was an excellent bull move. And in that period, you would have gone from six gold ounces. So had you taken six of your gold ounces and said, I'll get one Bitcoin, you would have reverted back later after this move and you would have picked up 35. That would have been the return of your six and 29 further ounces. So gold fan, generally, there are moments where <laughs> that's probably worth considering. Um, some of you will say, never, we could get it wrong. I don't trust technical analysis. Fine, then you're not uh, apropos to a charting uh, solution, and that's fine. Um, we then went into a period where it was a terrible time to own Bitcoin. We had the FTX shenanigans, the Three Arrows Capital, the all the, the dastardly events, and gold was far more stable. Even though gold was not performing that brilliantly, it's on the downside certainly didn't take the bath that Bitcoin did. So like I say, I'm only interested in the full story, not just uh, shining the one side of the ball. And during this period, Bitcoin was a disaster. It went from 69K, and that was the best of the disasters, never mind the rest of crypto. It went from 69K and traded sub 16. So if you do, you know, 15, 15 16 uh, over 70, which is roughly where it tapped out near the high, um, you need to multiply that up a lot of times to get back to where you were, you once were. So it lost about 80% uh, plus. Gold during that period was the hold. So after we made our target, which is where we expect progress decay in the bull run, you should have converted any of the Bitcoin you had back to your gold ounces. You would have got 35, which is from six, I think that's, you know, five sevens. It's about six times uh, the gold you would have normally had, had you done this. And no one would have put their whole gold in. I understand that. But just for understanding the mathematics, whatever proportion you were prepared to risk, you would have got six times by exiting at that level. Then you would have gone out of the Bitcoin and you would not have ridden the downside again. And the downside took you in and around this level over here. If I just uh, get it, that's around nine. So you went all the way down from 35 gold ounces to nine. During that period, gold was the better hold. This is almost like a gold-silver ratio trading. Um, only it's, you know, because it's Bitcoin, it'll trigger a few more people. But nonetheless, if we then understood at this red box that I've drawn, the falling wedge was broken, and actually now you're going to have a period where Bitcoin is going to outperform um, gold, had you got in there, you would have got in and around there. That's around 11 ounces. And you back up to 30, almost three. Uh, and we're continuing to move. So this is kind of like some of the, the there's been some great tweets about people went to own silver and went to flip it to gold and vice versa. Uh, and it's been a very good multiplier effect for those that care to be active. This isn't for everybody necessarily. And I wouldn't convert my whole gold holdings to Bitcoin either in case I got something wrong or was late or there was a major reset and grid downs and all the things that could damage Bitcoin happened. Um, so this, and I see this continuing to go up. 
and to make new highs. So that is going to make some gold people uncomfortable because they, we're talking about an asset class that goes. Now, there's been people that have intentionally which, pitched. Uh, which, sorry, Francis, others, just to interrupt uh, for one sec. Yeah, you sure. Know, that doesn't mean that gold's actually losing value. It just means no. that Bitcoin is accelerating against it. And again, this is not saying anything negative about gold, but it's just showing a, a different tra trading strategy. 100%. It's a very important point. Um, this is a relative performance uh, indicator, and there are multiple reasons not to have Mr. High volatility, especially, you know, you're later in life, whatever the case may be. So the, the way you would manage that is you would keep a larger balance of metals and only have a small portion. And if you're incredibly conservative and you want to be active, that might only be 10% or 5%. And you might thank me because that 5% becomes your 6x at relative to Bitcoin. And that now becomes 30% of your gold. And you took a bit of risk. Uh, and then you sit out the downside. So overall, I'm expecting new highs in this bull run. So many people will say, well, hold on, sentiment. And we have a sentiment indicator over here uh, on Bitcoin is, you know, you're getting a sentiment at 82 out of 100. Uh, and we and this was at about 75 and a whole bunch of people were getting out. This is the fear and greed index where you're looking at combination of social factors and it gives a, a color to uh, Bitcoin. I will show you on the chart over here. It gives it a green color, which points to an 82 valuation. And many people will go, oh, high fear and greed. Sentiment indicators are generally very good in the sense. They are not great for timing. In other words, I expect it to go higher first before it goes down. And I'll highlight to you, remember the darker the green is the greater the, the greed element. I will highlight to you that that green over here is all significantly darker than the current green we are in. Which is a light green. So, in other words, you're not in your 90s yet. And every time we do go into the 90s, in fact, when I look at the charts, we haven't made the new high yet. And that's really the second two thirds once you're in the new high zone. So, we're still in the first third. So, here's me thinking of games, maybe even in NFL sense, we could even be in the first quarter. So, there's still three quarters to play. The team that's up in the first quarter isn't the team that necessarily wins the game. And how much they up isn't in the first quarter doesn't dictate how much they might be up after three more quarters. But if I look at Bitcoin as the chart on its own, I think we are only about here right now, very much as these colors indicate. I think we're only about here because this was not a new high. We're missing the high here. So I'm going to refer to the chart now of Bitcoin. But just to make this point, we are yet to make the new high. We're on the bridge of making the 60K, which will be an important uh, measure, 60,765. That is 69 and 64. So if I were to compare with the previous bull market, I would argue you are somewhere here. You're below the previous high, which was the 20K. This is what's still to come. And yes, there will be volatility, potentially. And I would suggest the ideal would be, in retrospect, if we are analyzing this, you get out on the first localized high. Because the minute the drawdowns get large, 
it's a different game. For a risk-adjusted exit, you want to probably be out. Yes, there was a couple more thousand there, but you've then eaten uh, over 50% pullback. That's the volatility that you mm-hmm. don't tend to get in gold, which is gold's gift, uh, again, to highlight that. But overall, my assessment is that to that is very much like this to that. And the colors on that um, uh, fear and greed index, uh, courtesy of uh, looking into Bitcoin, give them a follow. It's their chart, uh, credit to them, and thank you for the resource, uh, is very, very good. If I pivot this to a weekly, these are very strong moves to miss out on. So I feel bad because some people will treat it like Bitcoin is snake oil. It's Satan's tool. Actually, listen, even if it is totally statist and controlled and is part of the electronic system that will be denying us of, you know, our freedom, et cetera, et cetera. If there's money to be made, take it. You know, you're not committing a crime. It's not like you're entering the organ trafficking uh, business. <laughs> by uh, t- uh, taking some of the upside on a token. You can see the scale of that last bull over here. This, I feel, was a very big bull. I feel the last bull was actually a tiny bit smaller because we ran into a terrible bear that had a lot of system failures on exchanges, hedge funds, and a lot of excesses that had possibly been building up already from the previous bull through the base and never got washed fully. So it is quite possible you could have a little bit of additional this time, but it also might be there's diminishing returns as the market cap gets bigger. So uh, the lows were around, uh, I think it was about 17 times up. You were about $700 to get to, no, it was maybe a bit more. I think you traded 700, it was about 22 times up to get to 20,000, the low to the high of that bull market. And this, the the previous one, if you take the 3,200 as the low to 69, it's it's around 20,000 again. So 20 times again, you're looking at around 20-ish, low 20. So I suppose it depends where you choose to draw the market. You had a fake bull and a pullback. But anyway, without getting too deep into the weeds, there is an opportunity, and I see the Bitcoin Bitcoin actually benefiting more so in uh, alpha because it has the higher volatility overall on a risk-adjusted basis until it hits its top. And then it loses its, A, its performance advantage. And then when you take in the volatility for account, it should be something you should divest from and probably go back into gold ounces. So there's just something to think of uh, over here, we think 135, 145 going on 150 would be a point that I'd be quite happy with. I'm not buying into this 400,000, 1 million story. I'm quite happy just to take an ex- a good run out of there and have my level. We have a technical reason for that, which is a, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to show up here. It's not on this chart. We have a technical reason for it on the basis of a inverted uh, head and shoulder that is turned. So let's just see if I've got that one for you. Um, I'll draw it over here. So we think 140, 150 uh, on Bitcoin. But again, remember, it's more volatile. If you apply leverage on top of that, you'll probably be shaken out. So it's cleared a couple of key levels. The previous target, 56, the 60K, it's now crossed. And the new high will be a run into 69K. Those are those blue lines. Uh, so very, very interesting for us. And if we just show you that inverted head and shoulder, and then we can leave Bitcoin and get on to gold, um, it's this. 
This is the pattern. It runs through there. And we're saying, okay, have you left shouldered and right shouldered at a very key level? That was 47 and a half, which was also this head and shoulders neckline. So we talk about key levels of significance. That was a major reversal. You bounce one more time and then you had another major reversal. This would be the inverted head, a very substantial one. So this is a big structure that's given us in and around uh, 145. We'd certainly make sure we had no leverage and taken some of our investments off by the time we hit 145. Anything else is a gift and I would be back uh, stacking my gold ounces uh, in that period. This is not to suit everybody. It's just a, a, a take. But there is alpha and upside in the higher volatility items. We are in a bull market and people tend to sell too soon. You need to look at the big time frame charts, which is why I'm on the weekly. And actually, these, these moves are phenomenal when they happen. Uh, so you may say I've surrendered to the greed genie, but that number of green candles in a row and that percentage of move is very, very beneficial if you can catch it. Yeah, again, it's a really interesting chart to be able to figure out, you know, when when things are moving, you know, comparatively to each other. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to what happens to the Bitcoin price in this in this run, I think. Yeah, I think it'll do again reasonably well. And we can, as I say, um, providing you don't blow your money management and you accept it's a much higher uh, volatility asset mm -hmm. and just simple investment for most people is more than enough for a while with the commitment to exit so that you don't get greed genied into all the crazy titles that will come out a million dollars and everything else at when it's going up at a super fast rate everybody just projects from there forward like that's the new reality you're gonna have a super a super honeymoon period and then you're going to come out of it with a hangover you've got to remember that and get out and not get caught in the drug and the mania of upside Let's pivot to something that's really been disappointing, given something that's going up. I feel silver's been the great disappointment. We, The one thing I can say technically about it is that there is a soft floor under this 22. We've had multiple points of support. I call it a soft floor because it was violated when we had the huge interest rates. It served as resistance there and there, uh, and you had another dip there. But apart recently, this since 23, uh, apart from that one event and a short dip that wasn't very long lasting, we've again shown that there seems to be a degree of flaw here. Had a little bit of a falling wedge. We broke out of it, a little bit of a return move. I can have a look at that. But it's it's a little bit of a struggle on uh, silver and it's a hard hold for many people. And that's not talking about the miners uh, on both um, uh, commodities, but particularly the silver miners. Um, I, you know, uh, I'm glad not to be a holder, a holder anymore of First Majestic, but at some point that becomes a very interesting buy if we start to turn. So we have broken a falling wedge. We're having a pullback move. I think it will drift up generally, and I'll tell you why. Because it's God markets, it's boss, it's older brother. Gold is looking a little better. So let's give you something positive uh, on the metals, even though it's not going to be performing and smashing Bitcoin. Overall, this is our assessment that there is, here's, here's how it happens when you have a real blow-off event. This, this was a real blow-off event. That was a massive wick. I'm just going to take uh, for a second the chart, the, all the annotations off there. Uh, I may even take that one off as well. 
that was such a blow-off event uh, that occurred there. And one of two things happened. It's an absolute top, think NASDAQ, because it was you know so extreme by move. You went 2,150, uh, and you know by the time at one point in that candle, you were at 2020. Talking about $130 in a, in a single day. This is a day chart. So that was highly volatile. It usually either means one of two things, a top and you're going to pull back. In the end, we didn't pull back that far. And what's actually transpired is that we've hung tough just above our 2K level, that blue level. So we're sitting like a ship with our keel in the water with the 2000 level representing the waterline. And that's actually quite a big achievement given the rejection, the scale of the rejection here. Mm -hmm. There was no follow through. In fact, you had quite a strong rally. Then you had a little bit of aftershock bloated. And that's that we call the second impulse. And this was the first. So that was very much a church's steeple in terms of how sharp and violent it was. Peak volatility. The bloated impulse, or that is the second fat round Homer's belly type uh, impulse, actually is the dissipation of some of that volatility. So it's kind of like, you know, you've been struck by lightning. You need to be put in the ground and let some of that uh, earthing uh, occur. And the, the, the bloated second impulse has done that. And again, it just fished very lightly between the 2K mark and was bought back up again after dipping deeper over there. So overall, this structure points to um, a squeeze for us, a volatility squeeze. And that's how you get beyond the 2K. So we're sort of perched on it like a bird on a washing line where the 2000 represents the line. And now we're shaking out that negative volatility and it's being slowly becoming more boring. Um, but this is a precursor, I think, to an upside move. So we would say, you know, you might dip down a tiny bit more over here and it could become even more dull and boring before a strong move to the upside, which was why I had... Um, that draw tool on indicating uh, an upside target. You may recall we've said 2.9 all the way up to the 3Ks as part and parcel of bigger macro technicals done on the monthly. And I think this is going to take us away from 2000. So there is some good news coming. I don't think it's tomorrow. I don't think it's next week uh, or maybe even two weeks from now. But during the course of the next two months, I would expect by April that this has probably triggered a new begun a journey and made a new high in gold. So in the next two months, I'm calling for a new high on gold. And I think that could drag silver out of those 22 soft support doldrums where it can't really get away with it. Um, when we do, when we talk about those two things, people also want to talk about the gold-silver ratio. And we've highlighted how the action starts when we get out of this channel. And our suspicion is that that action should be a break to the downside. However, if we were to get a demand-destroying event, which this economy and the share market could very well be due, you could, in fact, first see a flush out to the top. But this channel has uh, bedeviled the metals for most of the time. There was a short spike there. But, you know, since we've been talking to each other, we've had, you know, cry wolf moments countless times that we might break out the bottom. And we are on the high side here, highlighting um, the weakness of silver and the fact that there uh, doesn't seem to be uh, too much uh, support yet for silver. And it's not holding uh, a gold-silver ratio. I think someone did a great YouTube showing $5,000 in gold coins and silver coins. 
And I mean, he was stacking bars and a number of tubes of silver around that to visualize $5,000. Mm-hmm. And then the, the ounces, sometimes you need these visual effects and you need to remember the likes of Keith Newmeyer and everybody else giving you, generally we pull out eight ounces for one. Um, so this 90s type level of gold-silver ratio is a perversion in my opinion, but it's one that's persisting for now. And until we break this larger red line, we're not fully into the gold bull. Whilst Bitcoin is in its Bitcoin bull and is going to go into the very exciting, highly volatile upside stage in our opinion. So yeah, I don't know if that goes some way to giving some framing on all the the three majors there. Absolutely, Francis. You know, one thing I did want to kind of pick your brain on, you you were going through analyzing gold a couple of weeks ago based on the news that was coming out, you know, and of course that that event is always a, you know, a driver one way or for gold or another. If we step back and kind of look at this more from a macro view, we always hear about the tailwind that rate cuts provide for the gold price. You know, it seems like almost everyone is waiting for the Fed to cut at this point. And it seems like they're, you know, between a rock and a hard place, really. On one hand, they're going to have to keep rates high to fight inflation if it keeps ticking back up. And on the other hand, they're going to have to refinance the debt coming to maturity this year. So I'd like to get your take on what you're expecting from the Fed this year, you know, with the caveat that ultimately this debt-based system is, you know, absolutely doomed, really. It's an election year as well as a Bitcoin halvening year. It's also a quantitative easing and quantitative tightening cycle year, which seems to always coincide with the other two. Um, so it's a very seminal year. And I think the Federal Reserve doesn't want to be seen to do anything too economic to benefit the current government or the incumbent wannabes uh, in terms of uh, all of that, whilst juggling the ball of a bond market uh, that is actually very, very compromised. In And in fact, I always bring this back, and you mentioned the phrase, that the, the key problem and driver and this feeds into the currencies markets, the deepest markets are currencies and debt markets, um, not stock markets, not certainly not Bitcoin markets, and not even you know the 10 trillion plus gold markets. Uh, and that's why I keep an eye on this fella, uh, which is, hold on, hold on, um, our yield curve inversion, which is our 100% indicator for economic crisis. And this is the 30-year, I I like it's a proper long-term chart, minus the two-year, which is a reasonable, typically popular ones and twos are considered the short end. And the differential between the 30-year yield and the two-year yield. And when we look at the bigger times, the problem, the demand-destroying event, as I like to frame it as, uh, and that gets a name, of whatever, but I think it's invariably going to be banking, debt, and financial. They'll often attach something else to distract from that fact, uh, but it's banking, which is the intermediation of debt and money, which is all borrowed into existence as the debt markets. Um, and this differential here, when this goes back above zero, and I want to warn that we've actually flirted with zero in November of 23, and we again flirted but couldn't hold above it, 
not so far ago, uh, long ago, this was in Jan of this year, back under in the second half of Jan, back over the last week of Jan and back under. So we are flirting, we are walking footsie footsie on the zero line. And the minute we break violently back above this, and here's the news technically on that, this is essentially a W bottom. Francis, do you want to show us that chart? Sorry, I've stopped sharing. Let me get that back up. I didn't want to uh, spoil the monologue. But just repeating what, what I was saying there, uh, Tomo, this is the 30-year minus the two-year, a very benchmark standard long-term uh, debt instrument minus the short-term, and it's their yield. So it's one interest rate taken away from another. And the fact that it inverts tells you that there's a serious, serious problem. That means the yield on the 30-year is less than the yield on the short-term interest rate. So what, what's actually happening here is when you break above the zero, that's usually the moment at which the full-fledged crisis occurs, which, as I say, will invariably have banks, uh, debt markets, uh, and those aspects involved, but can often have those headlines distracted away by something else, which could be a geopolitical event that's either manufactured or organic, such as a war, a lockdown, etc. But technically, I've just drawn the W here, and this is typical of bottoms. And uh, you also had a little bit of a detail, a little right shoulder, and you've got over here another little spell here. But when this chart that's over there breaks back above that zero, I'm in put buying territory. Uh, you know, I'm going equities, anything that's liquid, I'm buying short. We'll find out the name later as to why we're going short, but it's coming. And for those that say, why why you say that with such confidence? Well, the, the history points to that. So again, I'll just take annotations off and illustrate this. All the yield curve reversions back to 0% have all flagged the major crises. Here's the 1989 um, Asian crisis. Here's the dot-com, the reversion back. You can see that moment was when the, all the recessions came. Um, here's the 2008. You had the inversion, and then the reversion back was 07 going into 08. Mm -hmm. We even had, not on this instrument, but you had a super dip low on the others. So the 10 years minus the two, you actually had a slight yield inversion for 2019. It's not happening on this particular one, but you had a localized low that was extreme and a major capitulation in the rates, which is part and parcel to that. And then we went straight into the lockdown events of CV19, which was in fact also a financial event. And I point to the fact that 24 trillion was provided to the magic circle of investment banks. Uh, that is very little spoken about. There was a complete bailout, uh, and everyone thinks the one trillion that was shared with uh, for furlough payments and businesses big handout. No, it wasn't. Uh, and the seven trillion of QE. There was a bank bailout. This yield curve inversion is by far the biggest and one of the longest of the modern era. So going back to 89. All of these are small by, by duration and event. And typically scale is part of that. You would argue that the CV19 was huge. And of course, on this particular 30-year minus two-year, we didn't actually trade below zero, but you did collapse 
unbelievable amount from a much higher rate. So it fell vastly. It's these sell-offs that also go into the yield curve inversion. So it was of a similar proportion. So here's where we are. So there is also a crisis coming. And that you've got to bear in mind with your Bitcoin story. Before Bitcoin had its bull run after the CV19 crisis that had the tailwind of the quantitative easing behind it, which was a weakening of the dollar as dollars were proliferated. This time we're already in bull mode, but we haven't had as yet. Everyone was calling the recession. They actually met the criteria of a recession two quarters. They then redefined the criteria saying, well, there's got to be an employment matrix in that and everybody's working when in actual fact, we have very low labor uh, participation rate. So they fudged their way through that and everyone's still waiting for a recession that they think hasn't happened. Meanwhile, they've already encountered a form of recession in my opinion, but leave the opinions aside. This is a foreboding uh, event and it will initially even see a sell-off possibly in gold. I think gold will have first had its run from that upside. So I don't think it's about to happen just yet. Again, if I go back to that daily, you can see we've actually pulled back away from the zero line, but it can change suddenly. And that's why I have an alert there. I'll even add a few more uh, because once all of those bells ring, for me, it becomes put buying season, probably on the equity markets, whichever is the most hyperinflated, which is maybe the NASDAQ or the SPY. Um, but that's how I tend to uh, play that. And certainly if that occurs whilst I'm in a Long with Bitcoin, I would also potentially roll that back and be in something fast, more stable, even cash, not in a bank, but cash notes or uh, the safest possible instruments and maybe gold, physically held gold. All things will pull back on uh, that demand destroying event, though, if and when it comes, because I think it will be uh, large and it's going to be there's going to be a financial element to it. There has to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think an important point to make there is that crossing the zero line isn't what causes that financial event, but it's just a symptom of and will be explained later, right? Correct. It's absolutely uh, financial, it's stress-based, but there will probably be a, a other geopolitical events. So the 2019, they're actually running late with the CV19 event. Uh, on account of the, the the repo problems already started in October of 19, September, October. So, but they like a coincidental, coincidental um, other, otherwise event that is non-financial to coincide with that. That's my opinion uh, only. And I think those things were coordinated in my worldview. You might think I'm wrong. That's okay. Uh, but typically we get a name for the crisis. Some of those other crises were obviously financial. So you had the Asian crisis, financial. There were super spikes uh, in you know the Korean one and all of that. Um, the dot-com was clearly equity stroke financial. The subprime was clearly debt. Uh, and housing, financial. So um, most of them, they're happy to run with a financial. When they get so big and they they wore people out with the bailouts of 08, 09, um, we got a different label for it. But believe you me, the bailouts were there and they were ever bigger. Mm -hmm. Francis, I was wondering if we could go over another scenario with you. And it's something that we've kind of touched on here. And it's this idea of what debt does to an economy, kind of from more of a, a macro standpoint. You know, you brought up in one of your videos the other day that the Nikkei, the Japanese stock market, has finally made new all-time highs, right? And this is after 
what was it, 40 years or something that it finally broke the last high. So this all kind of plays into this idea of what debt does to the stock markets of a country over the years, what it does to the bond markets, and absolutely what it ends up doing to the currency as well. Yes, and I was asking, thank you for that question. It's a very insightful one. And we have been championing the the, the Nikkei eventually. And I, I spent in the UK, I think, uh, 20, 20 years uh, living there. And there was one analyst that every every year said, this is the year the Nikkei will do it. You know, from 2000 till 2020, that's going to make new highs and it's going to turn and it'll base. And the point I make by that is, it was a far bigger, longer constipation period of, you know, just gridlock. So the, the, the aspects that created the bubble in the first place was hyperlending, and they were encouraged to go into hyperlending, and property was the tool that was the recipient of that. And at one point, I think the Imperial Castle was worth more than all of Manhattan, and they were introduced to pump and dump schemes, first with the the pump part, uh, and they quickly found out about the dump part. It's a great way of asset stripping. Pump dump schemes are invariably organized control frauds, uh, as far as I'm concerned. It's a strategy of a lifetime that's existence right from tulip mania uh, since. And it's usually orchestrated. They actively had banks calling people and homes saying this market's running. We'll give you unbelievable credit access. And then people could borrow, collateralize, borrow some more, take all the borrowed assets that they had very low equity, and then go 10x borrowing again. And so they literally created debt upon debt. And it was obscene. Anyway, that did a hyper surge of 38,950 and reduced the banking system uh, to zombies, which they weren't allowed to actually destroy and start again. The this congestion period, as I call it, the 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 three decade constipation period would have been over a lot quicker if they allowed the banks to burn and relaunch them. But that wasn't allowed to happen. And in fact, quantitative easing started there. And we did a very good interview with uh, uh, Werner, Prof. Werner, who was uh, the the person actually who is alleged to have created the phrase quantitative easing, who gives us the history of Japan uh, right from World War II with a peace agreement, where effectively they became de facto controlled via the Fed, the BOJ. And they got a little bit... You've got to understand the history of how it all happened. Um, the American arm came to the Japanese arm and says, hey, buddy, it seems you have a little bit of a savings problem. The savings problem was that everybody bought their stuff. They had trade surpluses with everybody else. Their currency was super, super strong, and they made unbelievable quality items, and they weren't buying enough of other people's rubbish. That was their savings problem. It's kind of like me coming to you and saying, Tom, you look kind of healthy. You seem to have a health problem. Uh, allow me to introduce some toxicity so that you don't look so strapping, handsome, strong, and generally vital. Um, that is essentially the financial equivalent of what was done to Japan. And we say, hey, have some you know, cocaine, super juice, and 10 tequilas and run around like a mad thing. 
and let's see how you do, and then we'll see how you go out. And of course, you end up detoxing. Uh, this is why I refer to it as this uh, three decades of constipation. Now, this particular Nikkei index has literally surpassed that high, and everyone who called bottoms was wrong. It was the longest because it was the most indebted super spike that had ever happened, and the banks were destroyed, and it's only through inflation reducing the value of that huge debt that was raised that they've got there and an immense amount of bank intervention, both in the equity markets, the bond markets, they largely own just about everything, uh, and the proliferation. And it was only after Fukushima, which was around about 2014, that you actually had a bottoming of the yen because these companies were flourishing in a strong currency environment where a lot of their costs were local, even though they were selling offshore. What's now happened is you have Nikkei banks that now have a very weak economy and uh, weak currency, my apologies. Let me just get the USD JPY because these two, they go hand in hand as part of the story. What's happened now with the Japanese is their currency. Uh, here's the, the big setup that uh, we called on the yen and said this is going to be a major loss in value of the yen to the dollar. It started there, and that's 152 from 110. But you had already turned, going to the monthly, after the Fukushima crisis when they had a change of government. And it was Abe who came in, who was not expected to win, who's now, in very peculiar circumstances, appeared to be assassinated. This was the Fukushima crisis. There's a lot to understand about what went there that most people don't, but I'll leave that one for now. But that essentially was the bottoming of the yen. If you look at this chart before, into the 70s and 80s, these Toyotas and Mitsubishis and all of these companies were actually getting market share offshore and outcompeting American European products in an environment of a, a strengthening currency. You can see the USD JPY going down, down, down. Now they have a tailwind. Now the uh, inflation accumulated over three decades has brought them into the game. And this means the Nikkei now is in a very, very powerful position because those big multinationals that are part of the Japanese 225 are earning dollars and euros that are larger and gaining ground against their cost, which is in yen, which is being inflated away and dropping in value relative to the other currencies. So now these highly competitive currencies that competed with a very strong currency, uh, like the Toyotas of this world, the Panasonics, etc., are now getting to compete. Only now, instead of a perpetual headwind, they have it as a tailwind. And what's now happening is you have the likes of Buffett moving across. We called in and around the COVID crisis after you bottomed here that you would finish this head and shoulder that's in draw there, and you would have a 70 run. People are going to sell this too soon. A 70,000 run. You've made it through the new high. We said 70,000 when it was still 20,000 breaking these two necklines of our various draws. So this is going to be a story that people are going to call tops on and go short on, and you're going to watch it actually outperform beyond everyone's expectations. That there may be a demand-destroying event in between, it will be much like gold. Dip, sell off, rebound, continue up. And this was the COVID crisis, by the way, over there of March 2020. Shaken off, breaking. So it's our expectation you will end up there. And what we'll probably see is uh, a big a big market share, a bigger market share, and that's going to lean on the American car makers. It's going to lean on the 
European car makers. It's going to lean on, you know, the electronics goods markets. This devaluation of the yen. Why is the yen devaluing? People will argue because if that's the tailwind in the stock market, it's not the only reason. The stock market is moribund with inflation, and the banks have kept the, the down for too long. So there's a real hyper rebound in there, and there's good companies. But why is the yen uh, weakening? Because of their debt. And coming back to your original question, Francis, what can we learn about Japan? And is there any a parallel for the US and other nation states? They had so much debt, they didn't raise rates to the same degree because they wouldn't be able to pay the interest on it. So they did yield curve control, which means I'm propping up the value of my bonds to keep the yield down because of that inverse relationship. So keep the yield down, prop up the value. Uh, whilst other nation states are allowing devaluation and upping rates for their inflation. So what that does in a global hedge fund macro world is people that own Japanese debt. So why am I holding Bank of Japan debt, earning a crap yield uh, around 1% and in a currency that's devaluing when I can sell that bond and go and buy a US treasury and earn 4%? Uh, and be in a stronger currency or Swiss, uh, et cetera. So what's actually happened is to avoid the in their debt market because all their pensioners have bought uh, into it, um, they are quantitative easing to buy their own debt. So it's a self-monetization. So what actually happens is you're creating money to keep an artificial price up in your debt market. Well, that means you have two pressure valves on the cylinder. One's the currency and one's the debt market. If you're not letting the debt market uh, devalue and you're keeping that tap closed and the cylinder keeps getting more pressure building up, you've got to open that tap real hard on the currency valve. And that's where it's being let out all that steam because there is a, a global interest rate parity for people that want to hold debt instruments. Remember, there's lots of bond funds why would you hold any form of Japanese debt? Uh, in fact, it's worthy of a short because it's hyper overvalued. There's too much of it. Uh, but the Bank of Japan for now is sustaining this artificial reality. And I think that's one of the things that will collapse with the Great Reset. So what we have happen is they are the first, they're the pace car in the Indianapolis 500, where there's two rows of other cars in a similar situation that are all ready to race down that path. But it's the first one that gets the most attention. They were the first to quantitative ease. They were the first to have their pump and dump scheme. And they were the first with the very, very bubble demographic with elderly people. They have an inverted pyramid on their demographics, which is a huge, huge problem. So that's the Japanese setup. And it's a warning to us all for all the other. And I refer to it as the leper colony because they all have the same disease and kiss the leper just mm -hmm. to varying degrees. Uh, so it is indeed uh, a warning and we should take a look. But funny enough, in any collapse of some things, there's some things that go up. And the exporter majors in the Nikkei 225 are going to do very well on the basis of a huge currency tailwind, as well as other things apart from being suppressed for three decades. Yeah, I think it's such an instructive lesson and an interesting you know, case study to be able to understand what ends up happening and how you know these pieces inversely work together whether it's the bond market to the currency and to understand those lessons i think is a perfect way to frame it the one piece that i did want to go over is is what happens to the 
pension funds in Japan as well that are invested in, you know, these sovereign bonds? Uh, well, they're totally beholden on their government now. Um, in actual fact, this is part of all of us becoming ward of state, in my opinion, because actually, whilst the Japanese might be the leader, I think the question that you're asking applies to all nations in with regards to pension funds. We've had a, the British pension fund crisis mm -hmm. uh, where there was no bid and they didn't want to collapse the market. No one wanted to buy it. They were forced sellers because they weren't getting sufficient yield. They were eating into capital. They had to sell some of their British bonds, couldn't do it. Then followed that, we had the California teachers the second largest pension fund. Oh, we're going to take a loan. Well, why aren't you selling your assets? Since when do you, you lend and build debt? You, you, you have an obligation to all your retired teachers to pay them. Um, why are you building up debt? You have debt as an investment in, you're supposed to sell that, or you're supposed to take the yield from that and pay all those pensions to the people. Well, we don't want to do anything that's adverse to the market uh, condition. So they want liquidity from a bank on the basis of a fund that can't sell what they hold because there's not enough bid depth for them to unwind some of their investment holdings to meet their obligations to their creditors, which are the people that contributed to that pension fund for their 35, 40 years of working life that now require them uh, to pay them back. They can't do it. They can't do it. And in actual fact, that solution, I think, has probably had the clearance of government behind it, because at the end of the day, um, financial failure and loss of uh, confidence in pension schemes is the last thing the government needs right now, whilst they believe they're engineering a soft landing in a recession that's already triggered under normal criteria. So um, they don't want to hear that news. And that's why they say banking system will take it up, just get a loan. Uh, and, I, and I'm pretty sure uh, and it's quite a bizarre that there's been so little mainstream media coverage. We did a specific YouTube on that very fact. It's to highlight nobody wants to buy the damn stuff. Why do you think Bank of Japan are absolutely knees deep in owning the debt markets? Um, because they are a toxic bank. They are having to take the other side of the trade nobody wants that everybody's worked out. Uh, and this is what's happening again, I think will happen in the States, that they're gonna have to be the liquidity producer of last resorts in illiquid, bad, toxic assets, which means they become toxic bank. But they will monetize that and that will create inflation because they are diluting your dollars and currency. So this is why inflation is the ultimate tax, not what you pay in tax, inflation is the ultimate tax, dilute you is always costing you and you can't sit with cash in banks for too too long uh, because then you are on the wrong side of a compound interest equation which is exactly how um, they uh, get their way out of trouble and make the problem a silent tax on the citizenry and it absolutely applies to america and all europe and all the major leper colony candidates that all chose to go hyper indebted and uh, surrender uh, and no longer pursue sound money principles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting as you're explaining that that the pension fund ends up taking a loan instead of selling assets. You know that works until it doesn't, right? That works, you know, in a short-term case scenario, but longer term, maybe some of these people need some of the sniper lessons. 
Bound banks won't want illiquid assets for collateral that the owner doesn't want to sell mm -hmm. in short-term debt, long-term. And I would put that solution in the same category, Tom, as the people, uh, as the, the companies that were borrowing cheap capital at the low interest rate period to pay dividends mm -hmm. and raising debt. I would put that kind of workaround BS solution. If you ain't paying it out your own pocket, you don't go destroy the balance sheet to pay it just because uh, it's low interest rates. With low interest rates then or high interest rates today. And you've seen how that interest rate environment, because everybody saw the 40-year bond bull market ever getting stronger. And this is why I still say one of our best calls we ever made was to be the only people in 2020 to say that is the end of the bond bull market. We are now in a reversion bear. I think that was the most important call we made. And it only started to resonate with people in 23. Uh, some bright sparks late in 22, that the final proliferation that went along with the March 2020 events was the end of debt. There is just no more faith in it. And those levels of interest rates will not be occurred. You've got to remember how many people were buying into the narratives of ZERP and NERP which were negative uh, interest rates uh, and zero. And we were like, that's never, ever happening. That was an absolute uh, fake story to get people to be um, forever bull in the bond markets. And now we see whatever happened to those phrases. You haven't heard of ZERP and NERP in quite a long time again. <laughs> There's no one buying on that, but they did a real good PSYOP of making that eventuality sound like a real plausible option. Uh, I never bought it and I never will. And now we're seeing the turn of a cycle, uh, but there's always a fantasia virtual reality uh, that they're ready to spin for you when they need it. Uh, and now that won't fly anywhere anymore. And we're going to be in a sustained high rate. And the only way you revalue debt down is you actually have a runaway out of set by the market because the central bankers don't set the rates. They only do so when things are in balance and contagion, they can tweak and twiddle slightly. Mm -hmm. When things get deeply out of control, things are taken out of your hands. And as I said previously, I mentioned, you know, the George Soros breaking of the Bank of England event, they upped rates twice in one day. That wasn't that they changed their minds. It was that the market was going to move the rates and was busy moving it regardless what they said. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh, that, unfortunately, is the eventuality. And an interest rate spike is a great way to shake out over-leveraged property owners into being a rentier society on what was once their own asset. Uh, and we seem to have a lot of organizations that are quite keen on that model. Uh, you will own nothing and be happy. Uh, so I would suggest people ensure that they are not exposed to runaway interest rates. And one of the best ways is to take banks completely out of your life and existence. Uh, and to watch. And again, real curve inversion, that'll be a short on debt as well. Uh, we called a head and shoulders on the TLT, uh, which was on the charts. Again, that coincided with that event. And this is, the, again, we've had a very debt-focused uh, chat today, but I do think you're right to be banging in on that because the failure is a debt failure. Whatever story gets pinned, the story is debt. The, the real bubble is debt. There's that head and shoulders. Take it down to maybe two weekly just to give you a fortnightly. And that was the short call. We were early on that head, on that grind line there. Said, not a hell is that going to go up. Lots of people going, 
further, buy bonds, wear diamonds, were their call. We said, no, that's a topping out. That was an exhaustive. And you ended up with a head and shoulder short and TLT has not been the same since. And this is an ETF that has 20 plus and 30 year bond uh, vehicles in it. Of course, there's been little rallies, uh, but in longer term, this goes down in our view. Uh, so it is a debt-based collapse that we are part of. And gold, despite all we've said about Bitcoin, is one of the safest long-term, if you don't want to do too much, holds in that environment. And silver will join mm-hmm. it, although it will it will lag and then go absolutely mental. So you have to be as patient as a monk. Um, so for people that are not inclined to trade, um, you're not badly positioned if you're stacking your gold. I mentioned there's some good uh, within the next two months. I see it breaking to the upside, and you're going to go deeper into the the 2000s uh, with an upside setup. On balance of probabilities, we think that breaks up and away from the 2000 level that that uh, boat is kind of sitting a little bit keel deep in uh, for the, the current moment, and that's a positive outcome. And I think the knock-on effects will eventually ring through into silver, but again. Uh, patience is required, and eventually miners. So the firing order, and I have to go over this in the crypto markets for the younger guys there, uh, but I probably don't have to for gold. But the first runner is gold. You must hold gold. The biggest runner is silver, and it lags. But then it will go absolutely mental, but you will feel out. You can rotate into silver. Gold is the you know the Bitcoin of the crypto market. Only it's Bitcoin that's mimicking gold instead of gold mimicking Bitcoin. And you need to be in it, and it will be strong. And then, as I say, the role in the order, the firing order of this engine, this V8 that we're looking at, with the cylinder numbers that give you the firing sequences, rotate some of your gold into silver as second stage, and rotate after that some of it into miners. So um, that's that's the point that they will fire, and then you'll get a bigger. A run out of the latter two, but you won't sit twiddling your thumbs for nearly as long and your gold will have gone up. So you'll be putting a bigger pot into the silver and the miners later. So if you understand the firing sequence, though that simple understanding of this one point I'm making will maximize you in this next metals run uh, substantially. And people that are sitting holding suffering miners for the last five years should have just been in gold. And you know, then they should just be in uh, a little bit of it in silver and then a little bit of it in miners and then slowly adjust the percentages as you start to get the confirmation. And that's how it plays. That's how it'll play every time. Start with the boss, work your way down. Uh, and that's that will make your compounding of your overall wealth gain, if you're leaving Bitcoin out of the equation, far larger. That simple understanding of that. Be heavy gold now. Because the big money moves first and it moves into gold, not silver. Be heavy gold. Then rotate and start increasing your allocation. Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense to really follow that in a way that order of operations and understanding it is key. Francis, I want to thank you so much for you know walking us through all of these different things as as only you can. If any of our listeners would like to hear more from Francis. Of course, great Twitter follow at the Market Sniper. Excellent YouTube channel as well at the Market Sniper. And of course, if you want to understand more about the trading strategy, that's all available at themarketsniper.com, right? 100%. And these are unique times, Tom. I, I suppose our strapline 
in short summary would be we're going to go through a, a system reset mm-hmm. and the traditional financial advice that you've had for the big middle the big bit in the middle is actually counterproductive and damn dangerous for the extreme bits at the end uh, so we want to specialize on reset wealth building and retention during this period of reset and we are in it uh, and that's the most modus operandi and freedom seeking and preparing to still maintain a good quality of lifestyle, uh, protected assets and wealth maximization during one of these most abnormal and interesting times, a la the Chinese curse. Uh, and we'd be delighted to have all your listeners. We're very well supported by the U.S. market. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are inherently gold fans as well. So please don't construe anything I've said as being anti uh, the sound money, precious metal. Absolutely. Well said, Francis. Thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me on. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.